This is Nuclear to Net Zero, a special interview by the IAEA's Department of Nuclear Energy. Nuclear energy has a key role to play in tackling climate change. It also provides access to clean and reliable energy for sustainable development. I'm Jeff Donovan, and welcome to Nuclear to Net Zero. Nations are preparing to strengthen their climate change commitments at COP26, the United Nations Climate Change Conference being held next November in Glasgow. Ahead of COP, we're taking a deep dive into nuclear power's place in the global debate over energy and climate change. Our special guest is IAEA Director General Rafael Mariano Grossi. DG Grossi, welcome to Nuclear to Net Zero. That's great. It's great to be here. I wanted to start out with talking about a little bit about those first days when you first got to the agency. Uh, one of the first questions I remember in the Department of Nuclear Energy was, uh, was whether to, to recommend in a way from our side that you go to the UN Climate Change Conference in Madrid, which was taking part just days after you joined the agency. Um, we know that that conference traditionally is not necessarily a friendly venue, let's say, to advocates of nuclear power, but you decided to go. Can you tell us a little bit about your intentions when you joined the agency with regard to nuclear power and your thought process in deciding whether to go to COP25 or not? Well, uh, your question, I think, contains a, a set of sub-questions and, 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 and many things, I, I would say, related, related to that. Um, when, you know, to become a director general of an international organization, uh, you have to win an election. It's not because somebody else appoints you. There are agencies in the United Nations system that are, you know, led by appointees. Not this one. You have to go out like in a political um, world and, and be a candidate. And be a candidate requires a platform. And a platform requires ideas that, that hopefully will get you the support you need to get the votes required. And I remember that uh, as a candidate, uh, I was quite clear on the importance that the agency fulfills or rather fills in the space it should have when it comes to addressing issues related to nuclear energy. And when you talk about nuclear energy, of course, you're talking about the overall uh, energy debate, to put it in a very general way. And I felt that this time for the agency, for us in general as a society, is a time where we are um, looking at choices, difficult choices and problems. And uh, climate change, one of that, obviously, you were referring to this important uh, conference uh, that was going to take place in, uh, in Madrid. And now we are facing the next one uh, in Glasgow. So I felt that uh, we had to make our voice um, being heard uh, without exaggeration, without overdoing it or overplaying it. But um, we certainly, just as nuclear energy, um, uh, have a role to play or have um, a seat uh, um, at the, around the table of these energy debates. And um, to come back to your recollection 
of those days. Uh, yes, these conferences, which are very big, very important, uh, diplomatic and political and, and economic and NGO, big gatherings with all sorts of people there, but mostly, and I think you're right in the description, mostly, I would say, nuclear, if not indifferent, sometimes averse or hostile to it. So, um, you know, talking to the, to, the, to the choir is, you know, easy. One has to go and pass the message and try to be heard and understood for all those in goodwill, of yes. course, and with good faith that are, uh, want to engage in the conversation. Indeed. And I, I remember I was fortunate enough, of course, to, to go with you on that trip, to get on that plane uh, uh, and head to Madrid. And I have to say, you know, before coming to the agency, I was a journalist and I, I, was, I was lucky enough to cover a lot of interesting stories and in, interview uh, important people. Uh, but that, that, those two, those two days in Madrid were, uh, definitely a major career highlight for me. I felt like we were there uh, to some extent on an, a kind of an underground mission, undercover mission <laughs> where, you know, we, we had a, an important message to deliver, but, you know, there were people maybe who didn't want to hear it or weren't so happy to hear it. What are the significant takeaways or memories that you have from, from that first COP? Well, I think um, the, the, the main impression I got, of, of course, it was a new, a, a, a new experience also for me. I have almost 40 years of, uh, of uh, work in the diplomatic world, but in a different uh, circle. Uh, in, in multilateral, you have the human rights people, you have the, the economy, the, the trade, uh, the, 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 the drug and crime close to us here in Vienna, and the non-prol people, non-proliferation disarmament. That, that has been my world for, for the last 40 years, more or less. So um, this one was different. Because the, the, the environment, um, uh, climate change uh, world constituency, huge, sophisticated at the same time. You have great um, scientist, scientists and experts there. You have NGOs, etc. You have lots of things. So it was, it was also a discovery. But most of all, I was... I was surprised and positively surprised by the fact that the prevailing, I would say, return that I was having was a kind of a, you know, where were you guys sort of uh, impression. Right. Um, um, not meaning that they would necessarily agree with everything I would say. But where but, was your voice? But there was a voice. There was a new voice. And, and, and sometimes I think we were at least um, able to, uh, you know, uh, awaken some curiosity about the message of, of nuclear energy in view of the, some of the narratives, as, as we know, and we can discuss about this if you want later, uh, narratives and impressions uh, about nuclear energy that have been a currency, common currency um, um, in the past few decades. So now let's fast forward to now. It's uh, about a year and a half later. A lot has happened in the energy and climate change space since then uh, in the world and at the agency. Uh, we're hearing more and more about the need to act urgently on climate change with every means at our disposal and even, you know, with nuclear energy in some quarters. Um, is that your perception too? Do you see that? Uh, and, and, and if so, I guess, is that an encouraging sign? 
Well, what one can see is that there are a number of uh, very clear targets that are being set and political commitments that are entered into by um, by the international community, but most of all by the leading nations, um, some of the, if you want, sinners in, in terms of uh, uh, carbon um, or uh, and, and others that are uh, more successful in the efforts to decarbonize the economies. Well, that is good. I think one has to be ambitious and clear in the setting of targets uh, which will uh, be, you know, the way in which you measure your success or, or lack thereof. But one thing is clear. Once you have set a target, and this in this case is net zero emissions by 2050, then you work the calendar backwards and you start making your calculations. And in this, uh, I think the IEA be, being a very uh, scientific and technical organization is well prepared to do these kinds of things, and we do them all the time. And then um, this is hard science, and one sees that to get there, uh, a certain um, combination, a certain uh, number of mixes, because there is not one single one, um, are the only viable ways to get to, to that uh, situation. In all of them, uh, nuclear is is part of the of the equation. So there comes our uh, responsibility. And when you have um, at the international level, international community, such a clear setting of targets, and you are working uh, from the nuclear, I would say, side, uh, then then it's no longer a choice, then it's a responsibility. It, it's different. So you have to say, this is what nuclear can do in the current circumstance. Right. And as you say, the agency as, as a whole is what is, this is the message that's coming from the agency and that you have been delivering clearly since your arrival. But in your talks, in your encounters with world leaders, with, with other uh, officials and experts, do you sense at all that the needle is moving on the topic of, of nuclear energy and climate change? Well, it's still, uh, it's still difficult. I think, uh, the countries that are, uh, in nuclear, uh, continue, uh, to be there. Um, and what is sometimes annoying, I must say, is when you talk to people who say in private, yeah, well, you are right, basically. Basically, you are right, but it's not something we can say in public. Yeah. And this is our challenge. We, we shouldn't get angry or frustrated. We should think why this is so yeah. and why isn't it possible uh, to, uh, to move. Um, but in so doing, we have to recognize that perhaps even ourselves uh, were not so assertive uh, in the past. So why would uh, others that were not even working in the area be uh, prepared to take uh, the risks of uh, a hostile public opinion right. about about the issue? So I think it's a, it's a, it's an effort. Uh, it's a, it's an everyday uh, it's an everyday effort where you have to to say things. Um, one thing, you know, I like to, to emphasize here is that it's not about ideology. It's not about liking one thing or one activity. It's about looking at the hard facts. 
Let's always look at the hard facts. Uh, but even that is not, is not obvious in the age of fake news, in the age of, right. um, you know, with all its um, marvelous, I would say, uh, possibilities, social media or the fact that we ourselves, any individual constructs reality and, 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 and produces um, content. Uh, well, you know, lots of things happen. There are, there are, there are uh, you know, deformations of the truth, and it happens all the time. But then again, I think the agency there also has a, a pedagogic, educational uh, role to play, I hope. That gets me to my next question, actually, because if you look at the countries that are generating, let's say, the most uh, CO2 emissions, uh, they are the G20 countries. Uh, 17 of them, in fact, operate nuclear power. But if you look more closely and you listen, uh, many of them are, seem to be a bit hesitant maybe to mention the contribution of nuclear power in terms of being a low-carbon building block of their own energy mix. Should the IAEA or well, encourage them to be more vocal about that? And, and, and if so, how can the agency do that? Well, I think um, we can do that uh, in a direct uh, way by um, uh, talking about communication, talking about and working with them about social acceptance. But there is also another and very effective way to do that, and it is by uh, helping them make nuclear safe, secure, um, where they feel that they have an agency that is supporting them uh, in uh, making sure that this activity does not have uh, or reduces to the minimum reasonable, imaginable possible um, the possibilities of any harm to the environment, then I'm sure that the political um, groups are going to be uh, and, and feel more, more uh, confident. You have cases, for example, to um, you know, bring this down to the... To, to, to today's realities. As you know, we are at a very important point when it comes to the, um, uh, to the disposition of the water accumulated uh, around the Fukushima uh, power plant. And there, um, we have a lot of explaining to be done. And the message is passing. Of course, you will be those saying scientifically ridiculous things, and some will perhaps believe that is true. Um, like we are going to set that we, I mean, Japan, when they start disposing of this water under the uh, watchful eye of the IEA, is going to set the, um, the, the, the Pacific Ocean into a glowing uh, sort of a, you know, cauldron, uh, killing every, you know, uh, existent life in it. And then you have to explain one, once and again and again and again, why is this not true and, and how this is going to be done and be present and, 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 and show that there is a lot of uh, myth, there is a lot of uh, lie. Um, but the, the, the best way to do it is in a calm, composed, scientific manner, showing the facts. Very good. And... Um just to bring this back to climate change, we are now uh, sort of in full swing. I mean, we, in terms of the world, uh, in full swing, heading towards the next uh, UN climate change conference in Madrid, uh, excuse me, in Glasgow, the next climate change conference yes. in Glasgow this November. Um, 
the agency is obviously, let's say, more prepared this time to to take part in this conference than than we were last time. Uh, we are, for example, preparing an event with the UK, the IEA, and other member states on displacing coal with low carbon sources such as nuclear power. Can you tell us a little bit more about the agency's plans and your own hopes for its role at uh, at the next COP? Well, um, we are very um, encouraged and enthusiastic about this this conference. I think it will provide us with a unique opportunity, much as COP twenty five was was a first in a way for the agency and for me um, uh, to be there. This time we are, like you are saying, we're better prepared. Uh, and, and quite obviously, the fact that we are going to be doing the things you just described is, is, is an, a, a clear proof that things are changing, that uh, those who are uh, the main actors, traditional actors of these things, uh, are uh, eager and well disposed to partake the IAEA on, on on events and and occasions where uh, nuclear is going to be uh, discussed. Our idea is to tackle it from a double, if you want, angle. On the one hand, of course, um, uh, referring to the to uh, to energy to electricity generation with nuclear and how this uh, can uh, be um, an articulator of uh, balanced um, energy grids, energy mixes um, in the future, but also uh, by um, looking at the um, uh, nuclear technologies and applications which are uh, useful in the mitigation uh, side of the debate uh, when we talk about how to um, uh, prevent and prepare better uh, the economies, the environment uh, to the current, the current uh, problems brought about by global warming which uh, could be uh, tackled and dealt with efficient, efficiently um, by uh, the use of certain nuclear techniques and applications. So we are going to try to um, show all the benefits of um, uh, atomic science, uh, to use a you know, um, quite old-fashioned old uh, uh, terminology, <laughs> um, 50-ish right. kind of thing, but still true. Yes, um, but, as they say, there's always a but when it comes to nuclear energy. Sure. Director General Grossi, but what about the waste? Yeah. That's what you hear. And I understand you took a very interesting trip this year to Finland and uh, had something to report back about that. Well, that was that was really fascinating. Um, for those who are familiar with, uh, with the nuclear debate and with nuclear energy, the issue of the waste, um, uh, high-level waste in particular, there is... Uh, other type of waste as well, but uh, what do we do with 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 the fuel that has been used and that is highly radioactive after uh, usage? And uh, for many many years, it it has been known that one of the solutions is the deep uh, geological uh, repository um, of this material in very specific and and safe uh, conditions. But you can describe something and talk about something and show as many PowerPoints that you like uh, on it, and this will not really decisively change 
things. But when I, uh, you know, I went to Finland and I descended, uh, you know, uh, half a kilometer uh, down um, and saw that facility which is there about to be licensed and prepared in a very, very small uh, piece of land to um, uh, take care in an adequate and safe and appropriate manner of this uh, waste for uh, thousands of years. Well, they, that for me is a game changer because one sees that it's there the, 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 this possibility is, it's not the only one, of course, there are other possibilities, but uh, again, it is not correct, it is not true to say that going nuclear is being irresponsible, is passing on a legacy to future generations that, uh, you know, they will not know how to solve. Uh, on the contrary, is making sure that the next generations, by using nuclear and other um, emission-neutral uh, um, uh, technologies, are going to be able to enjoy the environment uh, as opposed to uh, the trends that uh, we, are, we are having now. So everything in economy... Everything in economy is options. Options have costs. There is a cost, um, uh, but then it's, it's about weighing uh, what is the price uh, you are paying and is, of course, one that is sustainable uh, under every possible criterion. And, of course, as you mentioned, there are several other countries that are making significant progress in the development of their own uh, deep geological repositories, uh, as well as countries that, of course, uh, continue to see used fuel as a resource uh, to recycle and, and continue to use in their in their plants. Um, moving on, there's there's been other big developments in the nuclear space uh, in in recent months, uh, also directly involving the the IAEA. Yes. Uh, last year we saw two newcomer countries uh, begin yes. operating their first nuclear pl- plants: uh, Belarus and the United Arab Emirates. Uh, this, of course, brought the number of operating countries to 32, and uh, both countries worked with the IEA, continue to work with the IEA, uh, have done so for many years on developing the infrastructure for their programs. Indeed. Do you think these recent experiences can be an example, even an inspiration to other uh, countries that are maybe looking at nuclear power as a, as a possibility uh, for, uh, for developing a clean energy system of the future? I th- uh, absolutely. I think uh, th- these are different cases. Uh, in the case of Belarus, if you want, they are in a in a geographical and national environment where nuclear energy is more common. They are very close to the to the Russian Federation or, or the Ukraine, and and in an area where nuclear energy is very developed. Uh, but the case of the the Emirates is is really interesting for for any um, any observer because it's it's nuclear energy in in, in the Gulf is nuclear energy uh, in Arab countries uh, is nuclear energy in places where one of course imagines uh, seas of uh, oil and clouds of gas uh, which are there for their benefit and others uh, but never nuclear energy uh, and so the fact that this also has been uh, incorporated as 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 uh, an efficient way for a country to preserve its its resources and to take care of a number of needs, including the desalination of water, which is of course uh, uh, crucial 
in in, in this geographical yeah. environment. Yeah. And and now we see that, for example, after many many years of uh, studies and uh, projects, now Egypt is moving decisively into that. I had the privilege to meet with President uh, Sisi and we discussed this this at length and I saw a great determination in, in Egypt to go that way um, and Saudi Arabia is also right. looking uh, into into this. So what, what we can see is that um, in, in, in areas or in scenarios where nuclear was not necessarily considered as, 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 as an option, um, uh, it, it is coming. Uh, this is also something which is very interesting. Uh, um, in spite of its um, highly technological profile, you see nuclear in the emerging south, you see nuclear uh, in Arab countries, you see nuclear. It's not a um, North America, Western Europe right. or, or or former um, uh, Soviet Union countries thing. It's something which is truly global. But are these countries? Uh, uh, is is everybody ready for nuclear power? As you said, it's a very complex technology. Uh, there's a significant safety uh, component to it. Um, uh, we know that a, a large part of the world is is uh, is in dire need uh, of energy and of access to modern, clean, affordable energy. Um, which will uh, improve living conditions. Mm. Are they ready for it? Well, uh, it depends. There's no one size uh, fits all. Uh, um, and, and then again, uh, um, at the risk of being self-referential, this is where the agency comes into play. Because uh, what, um, uh, perhaps to use your question, I would say perhaps not everybody is ready, but everybody can be ready. Very good. Um, uh, there's no exclusion zone. And this is why we have programs uh, tailor-made, prepared for those countries. For example, it's very common. I see many uh, ministers of energy, and in particular our colleagues from Africa, are uh, quite excited, very excited, about small and medium-sized reactors, even micro-reactors, because they see... um, you know, how they can uh, enhance their um, um, energy independence, how they can uh, bring um, energy to remote areas in spite of uh, paucity of uh, grids. But, of course, uh, these needs infrastructural capacities and so on and so forth. And this is where they turn to the agency. We are kind of a sort of a consultant for free or not for free, because they are paying the assessed contribution, but we are a very cheap, but very high top-level consultant for them, and we are um, helping them develop this institutional um, um, density that is is necessary for that. Everybody can. You mentioned SMRs, um, a big topic in nuclear, obviously. what is, you know, I, I, I know the agency is receiving increasing uh, attention and uh, requests from its member states for, uh, for assistance on this new technology in, in many different areas. Um, is the agency doing anything differently to address those needs? What, what, what's going on here? Well, you know, SMR, uh, to the SMR or to the new generation of uh, reactors and nuclear energy projects, which are being developed um, uh, issue, I would apply a little bit of the same 
um, uh, approach that I mentioned when we were discussing about waste. I think uh, we need an SMR out there. Uh, once that happens, things are going, and I know there are a, a few um, projects that are very, very close to maturity, uh, but need to be deployed. When we see those deployments, when we see that it's possible, uh, then I think there will be a, a high-speed acceleration in terms of demand uh, for this type uh, of, uh, of reactors. What we are doing is two things. Uh, on the one hand, we are trying to organize ourselves better as an institution. Um, I felt when I, when I came that uh, we could do, of course, there was a, a, a lot of work uh, that had been, uh, had been done before my arrival here, very good work indeed, but perhaps we needed to be more focused, so we are preparing to offer um, a, a uh, one-stop shop sort of uh, uh, support uh, for uh, those uh, willing to work uh, in, in that area. Of course, it's a multidisciplinary uh, approach in, in involving uh, nuclear energy, but also our colleagues from safety and other parts of the house. But we are trying to do uh, certainly, certainly that. So that is one thing. And the other thing, which is perhaps is, 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 uh, is, is a bigger or wider or larger issue, is that I, I as, as DG, I'm talking uh, a lot to the industry. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm listening to them, I'm, uh, uh, I'm passing my messages to them. Uh, we are uh, developing relationships that heretofore were not existing between the industry and the IEA, which is very important because for, for once, I mean, this, this uh, new design, these new reactors will have particular uh, safety requirements, which might be slightly or perhaps sometimes not so slightly um, different from the traditional uh, big uh, installations that we were used to. So we, are, we may be looking at, uh, at a very different fleet in, in 20 to 30 years uh, shaping up. And the agency will have to be up to the task. Right. And um, on the, this importance of, of seeing SMRs deployed, I just would note that um, there, there, there were uh, last year uh, deployed two, two SMRs aboard the floating uh, barge in, in Russia. So there, An there, interesting there, there uh, technological, very interesting technological development, in particular for that geographic uh, space in the Arctic where um, you need the mobility. And so, um, as you know, uh, uh, Jeff, there are, I think, more than 70, more than 70 different uh, projects ongoing. Concepts and designs. Concepts and design, of yeah. course. Uh, most of those will not see uh, um, uh, the day. Uh, perhaps 10 or even less would be really uh, in the market in the next few years. But one sees all this possibility, which is growing. So clearly, you know, we're sitting here in Vienna, Austria, a lovely place. Uh, in Europe, there's um, there's a lot of consideration right now being given to uh, to nuclear power's potential role in uh, 
in sustainable financing mechanisms uh, yes. going forward. Yes. Um, and I understand there's a, a decision at some level of the European uh, uh, governance should be taken later this year on whether nuclear power will be considered to be a sustainable investment. Uh, but we did hear recently that the European Commission's Joint Research Center um, uh, concluded that no, there were no there was no science based evidence that nuclear energy does more harm to human health or the environment than any other electricity production technologies that are already included in the European uh, Union so called taxonomy and, and as activities supporting climate change mitigation. So my question to you is: I wanted to hear your views on this matter uh, because it's important for countries beyond Europe for the, for, for 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 the entire world. Uh, what are your thoughts on on the, this this double challenge of you know we ha- we're going to need to support the post COVID economic recovery with investments mm-hmm. in the energy space, and yet at the same time public support for those those recoveries for those investments needs to be aligned with the objectives of of the clean energy transition. Just wondering about your thoughts on that. Well, um, this has been a huge debate, and it's an ongoing one in Europe. Europe Europe is so important in every respect, of course. It is important, but in, in particular in this area, because um, Europe is, is, a, is, is, a, is a nuclear market. Europe is a place where nuclear energy is by far providing the biggest portion of clean energy. Uh, Europe is also a technological hub. Um, you know, my country, Argentina, uh, started in nuclear energy with with uh, Germany, which is now in an energiewende and 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 facing out from. Um, and the same can be said about France, about the United Kingdom, uh, about Spain, about many countries that are Sweden, Finland, um, many um, Central and Eastern European countries. So, um, so it's huge, and it's um, twenty seven countries. Countries um, that are so important. So, of course, we were not part of this debate. But as I was saying at the beginning of the conversation, um, we believe in rational decisions, and rational decisions must be based on scientific facts. So, we are very happy to see that a, a reputable um, scientific institution like the Joint Research. Research Center uh, came uh, to this conclusion, which may be in influencing future uh, choices uh, and uh, and decisions. Um, in, in in this, uh, I believe we may not see the results yet, but there is a change in the making. Uh, there is a recognition in many countries that we are not going to make it without nuclear at the same time that nuclear is a formidable platform for a better recovery, as we are all involved with uh, after the pandemic. And we should watch out because um, when the pandemic is over, and it will be sooner than we expect, I'm very optimistic about this, there is going to be an important rebound um, as any um, economic um, um, assessment is showing of the economy. And we don't want this to happen at the cost of a spike in emissions. Um, So um, the opportunities are there. Uh, Nuclear is here, will continue to be here, and we will be uh, happy to take part in this fantastic effort, which is a global effort. Director General Grossi, thank you so much for joining us on Nuclear to Net Zero. 
Stay tuned in the coming weeks for a new IAEA podcast covering all aspects of peaceful nuclear science and technology.